This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm so glad you're here. I started Self Work six and a half years ago now in order to extend the walls of my practice to many groups. Those of you who might already be very comfortable with therapy or psychological topics, to those of you who might just have been diagnosed or you're looking for some answers about mental health. But even for a third group of you, those of you who are a little skeptical about the whole thing, but you're just curious enough or sadly unhappy enough to listen to a podcast like Self Work. So welcome to all of you. In the month of May, which is Mental Health Awareness Month, we're going to focus on five different mental habits that you can have or adopt that either worsen depression, create depression, or are part of relapse occurring. I'm basing this series on a talk I heard from Dr. Michael Yapko. Who is he? He's an internationally known expert on depression. He's also a CBT guy or a cognitive behavioral guy who teaches a very effective way of doing hypnosis. So he's working with the conscious mind as well as the unconscious mind. And I really like the combination of those two. Some people will respond more to the rationality of CBT, whereas others will want to approach their issues or problems in a little more metaphorical way that our unconscious minds seem to use. Last week, we focused on what he termed internal orientation, which is kind of psychology-y jargon, meaning that you fall into the habit of believing what your depression is telling you, either through your thoughts or your emotions, and Quite frankly, depression often lies to you. It tells you you're not worthy or that you're always wrong or you're always right. Either way, you can get stuck in the absoluteness of those irrational beliefs and the feelings that go along with them. So if you want to listen to that episode, it's 337. Today, we're focusing on what he termed stress generation. Again, a little jargonistic. What is that? What it means is that you're actually making choices and decisions that cause more stress for you. Now, this seems like such a simple idea, but we're going to talk more about it. It's when the I don't care or I don't know of depression leads to even more stress, which then leads to more depression, and it's a bad habit. Anyway, more to come. Just a quick reminder, this series isn't disputing that there are trauma-based reasons for depression to exist. But in the first of the series, I talked about the three facets of depression, biological, psychological, and societal. And trauma does have psychological components, but is mainly considered part of the societal source of depression, the what happened to you part of it. And again, Yapko is a CBT guy, so much of what he focuses on is the mental errors that create depression or make it worse. The speakpipe voicemail today is from an older woman who says that her grown adult children don't see her as a person. She doesn't feel included in their lives as important or viable. I actually hear this from all ages, so it could be ageism, but we'll see if we can widen our lens a bit to discuss. Before any of that, here's a very special message from Bioptimizer's Magnesium Breakthrough. We've been talking about it as a sleep aid, but there are other really good benefits of magnesium. So let's listen in. Hey guys, I want to share with you that recently I've been working on some very important projects that have very short deadlines as always, right? seems everything today is ASAP. Anyway, I have not been able to keep up with all of my self-care routine. 
I certainly haven't had breaks to have proper meals, and I'm drinking way too much iced tea. I was starting to get really stressed out when I remembered that the magnesium breakthrough I take every night is also a great support for stress management. I'd kind of forgotten that. In fact, magnesium is responsible for over 300 body reactions, and magnesium breakthrough is the only magnesium formula that delivers all seven different forms of magnesium. I didn't know there were seven forms, one of them being feeling more calm, centered, and in control of our stress. If you're trying to balance life demands, give it a try. Trust me, your mind and your body will thank you for it. What you can do is visit magbreakthrough.com slash selfwork and order now. Oh, in addition to the discount you get by using promo code selfwork10, so that's different, selfwork10, they're also amazing gifts with purchase. That's why I love shopping at Buy Optimizers. Again, go to magbreakthrough.com slash selfwork to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out this month's gift with purchase. So on to the second bad habit that depression can both create and be created by. That sounds like it becomes a cycle, right? (laughs) It's called stress generation. And what does that mean? Stress generation is when your decisions lack the kind of caring detail that they need to. Perhaps what you recognize is the next thing you're going to say or do is really pretty self-destructive. One of the things I often ask my own clients to ask themselves before making a choice or decision is this. Is this decision likely to create chaos? Maybe that chaos might be spending money you don't have, or texting an old abusive partner, or ordering delivered meals for two when there's only one of you. Lots of things can create chaos, but when your decisions do that, that's what Dr. Yapko would call stress generation. I think the pandemic, with so many of us isolating from one another, made it easier for us to create chaos in our lives, because frankly, we could be more secretive about it. I'm certainly not saying that that was the major reason why depression reports went up during the pandemic. The isolation and fear itself was something many struggled with, me included, by the way. So it's much more complex than that. But during the pandemic, so many of us lost the support we had for making better decisions, maybe being around others who are a positive influence, being involved in activities that lent meaning or laughter or pleasure or challenge. We're just now getting back to making those decisions again, to go to that meeting, to go to the gym, to have a neighborhood gathering. Okay, let's get back to how you can avoid depression turning into self-destructiveness. Sorry, went on a little tangent there. Part of many people's depression affects their thinking. They have indecisiveness, fogginess, feeling as if your mind is dull or murky, and trying to think is like trying to trudge through a swamp. What's important to realize, though, is even with that going on, you can still try to be aware of the importance of the decisions you do make, and that if you continue to make the same ones that are unhealthy, then those decisions will make your depression worse. Isn't that sort of interesting? We think about, I'm depressed, and some of us really struggle to think, well, is the next decision I'm going to make, the next choice I'm going to make, make me more depressed or less depressed? Sometimes we just kind of settle down into that depression and not realize that those decisions and choices can be tiny steps toward feeling better. Now, 
As I hear myself say this, I'm kind of arguing with myself at the same time. Because isn't part of depression not having mental clarity? The answer to that is yes. And yet, if you miss opportunities to make small, tiny decisions that might lead in a more positive direction, you're doing what the old saying says, you're shooting yourself in the foot. I talked recently with a guy named Mark who was telling me how his life didn't seem to be following a plan, and that although he made a lot of really great changes, that he was stuck in comparing his life to other people his age. He was 29. His friends were getting married or having kids themselves or buying homes, the markers for some that you're successful, and his life was very different. He was trying to follow a different path, but was staying up really late after he got off work. He'd recently ended what he called a good relationship that was five years in the making, but still he said he felt good about that decision, but he was beginning to struggle with feeling despondent and unmotivated. So you can kind of hear this mix of, I know that I'm not following the same path as my friends, I'm okay with that, but I'm getting lost, and I'm not sure that my decisions are actually backing up or leading to the kind of life I want to create. So I started asking him some specific questions about basic self-care, eating, sleeping, what substances he might use, and his response was, oh, I smoke weed every night. I then asked, did he think that had an effect on his life? He said, I don't know. I don't think it has much to do with it, except I stay up later when I smoke, and then I can't get up and get things done. Well, there you go. Now, this isn't a referendum on weed. What I want you to hear is that he was making a choice to do something, even though he could see that that choice was changing basic things in his life that he knew were important for his well-being, but he wasn't doing them. Now, Addictions are sort of like that, aren't they? Whether it's gambling or eating or working or any kind of substance, often people recognize the addiction is bad for them and they're simply compelled to do it. But the point I'm making here is his decisions were generating stress. And either because he was in denial or was addicted or simply wasn't ready to see it, he was making bad decisions. Now, Let me be the first to say that none of us make great decisions all the time. But being self-destructive, having habits or not doing things, action or inaction that would be in your best interest can easily lead to depression or worsen depression. Let me use myself as an example, although depression isn't really my issue, anxiety is. I have a specific kind of social anxiety, which is called performance anxiety. I can feel highly panicked if the spotlight is on me. And it can be heavy-duty anxiety as well, not just a case of nerves, shaking, sweating, all of the above. So I could have years ago made decisions where I could avoid all of that. No more being in plays, no more being in the public eye, certainly not writing a book. Although that was something where I could sit alone and do it. But no speaking about the book or its topic. A podcast? Oh, no, 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 no. Those decisions might have made me feel safer, and I could have justified it to myself by saying, well, I don't want to feel anxiety. Or with depression, it can be more, well, I don't have the energy to do that, or I'm not sure I can do that. But they wouldn't have been good decisions for me and for my life and for the life I wanted to create. They would have generated more stress and made me feel like my life was getting smaller and smaller. Think of it as enabling. 
You can enable your depression, or in my case, my anxiety, to stay put or to get worse by not evaluating your decision-making for how it's going to affect your depression. I also totally understand and respect that when depression is severe, it can be mind-numbing. Andrew Solomon, who has struggled with severe depression bouts himself, wonders how one day he can't find the energy to brush his teeth, but a day or a week later wonders why that was possibly so difficult. Maybe this context will help. Any of you who are parents have probably had the experience of watching your child or teenager do things or make decisions that seem to contradict what they say they want. Or you could just watch your friends do this too, right? You don't have to be parents. It could be your friends. And it seems simple to you. Maybe your teen or your friend says, I want more friends. But they don't feel confident enough to take part in some activity. They don't seem to make the connection that you make friends by doing stuff with people who like to do the same stuff you do. So, back to Mark. He has a goal to get a better day job, to get his life back on track that is in the direction he wants. That's what he told me. So, what are choices that would be a step toward those goals rather than succumbing to a feeling of, oh, I don't know why I do it, I just do. Before I address what could possibly be the problem here, and maybe help in our understanding of it, let's hear from Athletic Greens. What better time than now to decide that you're going to do something for yourself in 2023 that will only add to your sense of well-being, where you can begin every single day with an act of true self-care, not a bubble bath, not even a therapy session, but by drinking one glass full of 75 high-quality minerals, vitamins, probiotics, adaptogens, and whole food source superfoods and support everything from your gut to your immune system to your energy level. I use it every day and love this habit because if you're like me, self-care can get lost in a day full of kids, work, meals, and whatever else comes along. AG1 knows that people who listen to self-work are seeking to make their lives better. So Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five travel packs with your first purchase. Become your own green machine in the first hour you're up and around. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash self-work. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash self-work to take ownership of your health in 2023 and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Okay, let's talk about self-efficacy. What is self-efficacy? Kind of hard to say. (laughs) Very simply put, it's believing in yourself that your actions, your decisions can lead you to reach goals that you want to achieve. Let me say that again. Self-efficacy is believing that if you set a goal, that you can reach it. If you want to achieve it, you can reach it. Let me give you some just really easy examples. I believe that if I walk more often, my legs will get stronger. I believe that if I join a team or take an art class, that I'll meet others who like that sport or like art, and I can make friends. I believe that if I challenge myself to do things that make me anxious, I'll get better at handling my anxiety. I believe that even though I'm depressed, that if I make small choices that are positive for me, that lead me in a healthier direction, that I can learn to better manage or even decrease my depression. Basically, my choices matter. 
That's what self-efficacy is. Your choices matter. Maybe one of the best books I've ever read was written by a doctor who survived the Holocaust as a Jewish prisoner in Nazi concentration death camps. Not a fun book to read, but a very important book to read. He wrote a book about his experience called Man's Search for Meaning, and his name was Viktor Frankl. Every right, every human dignity, everything he'd worked for was stripped from him, and of course all the others, and so many were brutally murdered. He held on to his sanity by finding infinitesimally tiny things that he felt gave his life meaning on that day. I mean, really, when you think about that, what he did was monumental, and he watched other people give up a sense of purpose. And he said, I just can't give up that sense of purpose, that sense of meaning. How might you, even in the midst of depression, or before you become depressed, remain conscious of the decisions you could make that could lead to healthier outcomes, and realize as well that no decision is a decision in and of itself. One more thing. Some of you may be listening who say, but nobody ever showed me or taught me how to do this. I'm getting such a late start. You know what? That's okay. Let's talk about how you build self-efficacy. There was a man named Bandura who actually came up with this idea about self-efficacy and said there were three ways to build it. And by the way, I'll have the link to an article about Bandura. I think it's called the Social Cognition Model or something like that. Anyway, here we go. Number one, first, self-efficacy builds through overcoming obstacles and experiencing success. Success that is obviously dependent on your own actions or contributions. So basically, doing hard things, and I'd add that coping and working through depression is one of those hard things, but you've got to give yourself credit for getting through whatever you got through. How many times do I hear, I just can't stand this, I'll never survive, and I have to remind the speaker, you are standing it, you are surviving it, you don't like it, and it hurts maybe even dreadfully, but you're standing it. What I'm talking about is self-efficacy, that you can look at hard things in the face, you can look at grief and fear and anxiety and fatigue and despondency, all the things that have to do with depression, and what you can do is try to believe that if you do the smallest of things toward a positive direction, that that is a good choice. You are not generating your own stress. Number two. You can build self-efficacy by seeing others overcome obstacles and attain their goals. You kind of get a model, basically. So this means that you find people you can learn from. And this doesn't have to be your parents. In fact, I often ask people, who do you try to emulate? Who is someone in your neighborhood, in your school, in your culture, in your church? Or is it someone in a book? Who are you trying to emulate? I have a woman as a patient right now who's going through a very, very difficult professional experience where she's not being treated well in her job. And so I recommended that she find books from other women who had fought that fight. Maybe they were the first of their race to do something, or maybe they were the first woman to do something. But to learn from others, to have a sense of self-efficacy that you can do it too by knowing that other people can do it or that other people did it. Now, number three, self-efficacy can be promoted through 
other people telling you that you can. (laughs) I'm experiencing some of this myself right now because I'm honored to give a TED Talk in late May. And people are coming up to me that know and saying, you're going to hit this out of the park. And I look at them and I think, well, I hope so. (laughs) But just hearing that they believe that I can do it is meaningful to me. So having a support group, talking to your friends about what you want to try, I don't care how small it is. Nothing is too small. Absolutely nothing. And then the fourth point is really important because it's so interesting that research has found that the sense of self-efficacy is actually independent of a person's actual skills, meaning that people with high levels of belief in themselves show more perseverance when facing obstacles. It's like the little engine that could. Whether or not you have the actual skills, if you believe that you can do something, then that can be more important than your actual skill level. We love stories like this. There's so many movies and stories about people who are the underdogs, right? And we watch them succeed for whatever reason. So this is what I offer to Mark, what some of you have heard me say before. It's not where you go, it's that you go meaning a different decision, a different choice, a choice that you put some caring into. You don't just go, I don't know what to do. I'm too tired to make a decision. That's depression. But if you tell yourself that all the time, you're going to stay depressed. Depression can tell you things are hopeless, that you can't change things, that you have no self-efficacy, no ability to move toward what you want. But I believe that's not true. So you start small. You prove to yourself that you can change one tiny step at a time. And you're growing a sense of self-efficacy because you're proving your actions, your decisions are challenging the hold that depression has on you or are preventing you from getting depressed in the first place. Speak pipe message from drmargaretrutherford.com. So let's hear the listener's question. What I'm experiencing now as a mother, I'm 75 years old and my sons are in their 40s, is that they don't actually see me as a person. I find this distressing and I would like to be on a more even footing with them, sharing my interests with their lives. I'm not feeling that interest from them and it hurts. I was intrigued by this question, and several ideas came to mind as she described her hurt. Now, there was a lot she didn't say. Had her children included her before? Was this a pattern that had been established? Or had it happened when she became older? So thinking about it, if it's just started happening, could she be experiencing ageism from her own children? So that is a possibility, certainly. But I also didn't hear her talk about anything that might be her part of this painful dynamic. And... She may not have much to do with it at all, but that would be the first thing I'd ask her to consider. Can she think of anything that might be hers to take responsibility for and offer to her grown children an acknowledgement of that? Maybe, somehow, they've not felt important to her, which would be sad all the way around. It's the big elephant in the room that no one is talking about. I don't want to sound as if I'm blaming this listener for this dynamic. It may be that as she's aged or as time has gone on, that her children have grown more self-centered, more into their own careers or the activities of their other children. Maybe they spend more time with their spouse's family than hers for whatever reason. Maybe they're being 
influenced by an ex? I have no idea. Sometimes you can love your family members but not like them very much. But certainly she says quite plaintively that she doesn't feel seen by them as all she wants is to share her life with them and them with her. So there's a lot we don't know, but I guess my best advice would be to look at what she has control over, which might not be much, and focus on doing what she can do to move closer to them to enter their world. If they actually bar her from doing that, and then they've reached an impasse, Some other parents I know have built relationships with other young people. It can be frightening to grow older and not have people that you could turn to if needed. But good luck to you. I can hear your hurt. Thank you again so much for being here at Self Work. Someone sent me something the other day that just flabbergasted me, but it's true. Self-work is actually in the top 5% of all podcasts worldwide. That's incredible. And you are the reason for that. You telling your friends, you sharing the message of self-work is really so important and so vital. If you're interested in the book Perfectly Hidden Depression, it's available wherever you buy books. And of course, I'd love for any of you who've read it to actually leave me a review. And thank you for any reviews you may have written on platforms where you listen to self-work, especially on Apple, because it's a huge platform. And people do look to see, well, what's the most recent review she's gotten? Because maybe she used to be okay, but now self-work is not all that great. So if it helps you, then let them know. I'd so appreciate it. You can subscribe wherever you listen, or you can go over to drmargaretrutherford.com. We have a soft launch of a new website. We still have some changes we're making. There's some definite glitches, but I think it's a beautiful new website at drmargaretrutherford.com, and you can subscribe. So you'll get a weekly newsletter from me, which includes my blog post and podcast episode. Thanks so much for being here again. Please take very, very good care in these difficult times. Be aware of what your family needs, what your friends need, and what your community needs. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.